It's good to see each and every one of you on this rainy Sunday morning. My name is Zach. For those of you who haven't got a chance to meet yet, we are in a study this year as a church in the Gospel of John. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 16. That's where we are. For those of you that are keeping score, uh, John has 21 chapters. We are working our way through the first 16 of them. We'll close out 16 today and then begin John 17 next week. Along with the sermons on Sunday, as we uh, study God's word, as we, as Donnie said, lean into scripture to encounter Jesus in fresh ways, we are also seeking to meditate on these words, on the scripture we're gonna read today. Throughout the week, we have a reading plan on our website that we, as a church, that we might let the word of Christ dwell richly among us. We're gonna be in John 16 today. I got some new contact lenses this week, which means I'll better be able to see my notes, which is a good thing. So hopefully I won't squint as much while I am up here. John chapter 16, to give you a little background on what's going on. We've been reviewing the context the last few weeks. First 12 chapters of John occur, scholars believe, over a period of around three years as John walks us through various events from the life of Jesus uh, and then in chapter 13, Jesus, uh, it turns a corner in the story. Everything slows down in the 24-hour period from John 13 all the way through John 18 or so happens in 24 hours. It's focusing in on a very significant day in the life of Jesus. Jewish culture begins, day begins in the evening, whereas our culture, day begins in the morning. So the day starts for Jesus with celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, washing his disciples' feet, and then moves into Jesus sharing uh, a number of words uh, recorded in a row by John. Some call it the Holy of Holies of Scripture, where Jesus is opening up his heart to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And Jesus is speaking these words to them because he's seeking to prepare them for what was ahead. Jesus along the way has given them and given to the church, to us today as his followers, some great and precious promises. And in the context of those promises, he's also wanted to equip them with what is to come. And he, he's promised them, uh, a promise for them and for us that they would, that their lives as they followed him would be marked by knowing Jesus, which is a treasure in and of itself. Jesus invited them to come and follow him, to come and be with him, to come and know him. And Jesus extends that same invitation to all of us. What a great and precious promise is ours that we get to know Jesus. In fact, he said that this is what life to the full is. It's wrapped up in knowing him. Jesus himself has the most compelling life ever lived on human soil, and we are invited to know him and even to share in that life. He's promised eternal, abundant life. He's invited them to life, live to its fullest in this age and in the age to come. Jesus has given them the great and precious promise of spiritual satisfaction. He said, for everyone who hungers and everyone who thirsts in John chapter six and seven, he said, come to me and eat and you will be satisfied. Come to me and drink everyone who thirsts and from within you will flow rivers of living water and you will thirst no more. Jesus gave them that promise and has extended that promise to us today. Jesus gives them purpose, the promise of purpose. He has sent them to proclaim the good news of the kingdom 
of God, that they are invited and we are invited in, not just to live for ourselves, but to live for a purpose bigger than ours, the kingdom of God itself. And Jesus has given them the promise to go and to bear much fruit, that they would live a fruitful life. And that promise is extended to us today, some 2,000 years later, by the Spirit as we follow Jesus. Now, in the context of those promises, they were also going to face significant trials, temptations, and tribulations. And sometimes they, and sometimes us, we can get confused because when we see the unblushing promises of Scripture, we can think, oh man, my life in following Jesus is going to be awesome. And when we encounter trial, and when we encounter tribulation, and when we encounter temptation, it can be like, wait, is this what I signed up for? And Jesus knows this is coming for his disciples then, and he knows this is coming for us as we follow him. And he's wanting to be very upfront with them about the road ahead. Here are some of the troubles that he has told them that they will face, that they would face wars and rumors of wars that they would face ethnic conflict, that they would face kingdoms battling, that there would be famines, earthquakes, persecution, death, hatred, betrayal, apostasy, false prophets, deception, and an increase of wickedness so great that the love of most would grow cold. That was what was before them then. And we can look around today and we can see so many of those same things Mark the headlines of our world today. Additionally, uh, they were going to face, and we will face as well, they were to face the death of Jesus, the loss of their leader, their friend, and their hope. They were having to work through, as his disciples, the betrayal that was happening at that very moment by Judas, and they were needing to work through their own personal failures that all of them turn from Jesus, they fall away that very night that they don't stand with Jesus, their leader, and they were gonna wrestle through the delay of God's promises. So there's some significant trials, significant temptations, significant tribulations that they were going to face and were in even then and were before them. And they had the great unblushing promises of God that were set before them as well. And for us today, we are walking that same road as followers of Jesus. We have these great and precious promises that I wanna be faithful to remind you of. And we are in the midst of a world marked by trial, temptation, and tribulation. And that is the road that we will walk as well as we follow the Lord, as we follow Jesus. Now, Jesus is giving them these words, John 14, 15, 16, he tells us at the beginning of John 16, so that the disciples might not fall away. John 16, one. He's saying these words that they might be strengthened to withstand the hour that they were facing. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us through these words as we come to encounter the Lord today, that we too might stand, that we too might walk into the promises of God that are before us, that we might be able to withstand the trials, the temptation, and the tribulation that we all face. And he was giving them guidance on what they were gonna to need to do to make it through. He's told them they were gonna to need to trust him, that there were gonna be situations that they walked in that they did not understand, that did not work out according to their plan or what they thought were going to happen, but they were gonna to need to choose to trust Jesus, his person, 
his promises, and his leadership. For them to be able to make it, they were gonna need to trust him. They were gonna need to have an eternal mindset. Remember, Jesus said, I have gone, I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many mansions, and I am going to prepare a place for you, and I will return. He was teaching them that they needed to have a long view of their lives, a billion-year view of their lives. They needed an eternal mindset. They needed the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper, the guide, the teacher who Jesus was going to send upon the resurrection. He was going to send the Spirit to be with them, and they would need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we need all of those same things today. We need to trust Jesus. We are all going to face times and situations where things don't work out according to our plan on our timetable. We are going to walk through trials and temptations and tribulations, and we need to trust him. We're going to need an eternal mindset to be able to enter into the things that God has for us. We're going to need to think longer than this week or this month, but to have eternity in view. And we are all going to need the power and the presence, the encouragement and the comfort, the guidance of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives as individuals and in our lives together. They were going to need to abide in Christ. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. I want you to remain in me and I in you. And if you will do this, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. They were going to need the church. He told them, you're going to need to love one another. They're going to need each other to be able to make it through. And friends, we need the same thing. We need one another. We are made to be interdependent as the family of God, as the church of Jesus. And they're going to need to invest in intercession. All throughout this passage of Scripture, Jesus is calling them to the place of prayer. Matt and Savannah, I don't, there there you are. Uh, I'm so thankful for y'all, and I'm so thankful for the life that y'all have lived in our midst on a thousand different levels. I remember when we moved here to Dallas and we were moving in to our house <clears throat> straight from uh, living overseas for a number of years. And Savannah, you came and you helped us unpack our stuff and move our stuff into our house. And I just remember being struck by the type of person that would take time to do that in the midst of school and work and whatnot. You took a leap of faith to come on staff here at the church. And we got to work together for a number of years, have been through ups and downs and all sorts of things. And one of the things that I love about you is the genuineness of your walk with Jesus. It is the real deal. And I have seen that over and over and over. And there's some people that can talk a certain way or look a certain way, but what I'm impressed by are people that really live their faith in an intentional way. And that has blessed me and Christina and our family, and that has enriched our church for the last 15 years. Uh, When we talk about oaks of righteousness, you have been an oak of righteousness in our midst. Matt, I still remember when we met um, at the Turkey Bowl, which is coming up, and we, Matt was like, hey, you know, I'm new here at the church. Who are you? And I was like, hey, I'm the pastor. And he's like, oh, okay. It was a little awkward. Uh, but that was, it was the start of a really, uh, you've been such a good friend to me. Uh, we have, too, have been through many things. I remember uh, those prayer meetings where you would sit behind Savannah, the perfect attendance at church when Savannah was leading things and being like, oh, there might be something here. And doing y'all's wedding and seeing y'all's relationship come together, birth of children, Uh, And just all the things that we've walked through together, 
love both of y'all dearly and love the life of investing in intercession that y'all have modeled for us. So thank you for sharing those stories this morning. And more than those stories, thank you for being who you are. You have blessed my family and you've blessed our church over the last 15, 10 years uh, in ways that would be hard to quantify. So love you guys dearly. Thank you for leading us in that way. Jesus said all of those things uh, that his disciples then and that we need now. And today, this morning, as we come together and we lean into scripture together, we want to encounter the Lord through these words. And I believe that as we read the text for today, that we'll experience the Holy Spirit opening our eyes in fresh way, that God has fresh things that he wants to say to you today, that he wants to meet with you today. You may have been in church a long time, or this may be your first time in church in forever, but I believe that Jesus loves you, and there's a reason that you're here. So we're going to read John 16. I want to pray over us that same prayer that Matt and Savannah offered as we come to God's Word. So if you'll open up your Bibles, John 16, that's all setting the stage. We're going to be in verse 16. And would you bow your heads and pray as we come to God's word? Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've given us your words. Thank you that you want to meet with us, Lord. God, and we do ask from that Ephesians passage that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. I pray that the eyes of our hearts today would be opened that they would be enlightened, Lord, that we might see you and know you and grow in our relationship with you, Lord. Would you come and would you teach us? John 16, starting in verse 16, Jesus goes on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you'll, you'll see me. And because I'm going to the Father, what is he talking about? They kept asking, what does he mean by in a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Let this be an encouragement to all of us that there are gonna be times in our relationship with Jesus where we're like, I don't get what's going on here. These disciples there saying the same thing. They're a little confused, so we are in good company in our confusion at times. Jesus, verse 18, saw, or verse 19, saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while, you will see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and you will mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly, though, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy and your joy will be complete. 
Verse 25, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. And because you have loved me and believe that I have come from God, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now, Jesus, you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you come from God, that you came from God. Verse 31, do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact, which has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will all leave me alone, yet I am not alone. My Father is with me. Verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's so much in this passage of scripture that we could spend hours and years talking about. In fact, the church for 2,000 years has come back to passages like these and sat and gleaned strength and encouragement and wisdom from the Lord. So there's no way we could dive into everything this passage has to say that Jesus would want to speak to us this morning. But what I want us to do in the time that we do have is to hone in on verse 33. Verse 33 is where we're going to spend most of our time. The title of today's message is Jesus is our conquering king. Jesus is our conquering king. And there in verse 33, Jesus summarizes this portion of Scripture. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, as we seek to encounter the Lord and to hear him in these words, uh, you know, uh, most of us probably understand that the Bible was not written in English, that this text, the Gospel of John, was not written originally in English that we would understand today. It was written in Greek. And smart scholars who spend their whole lives breaking down languages and culture translate the Greek text into English for us. And I want to point out a couple words that they have translated here the scholars have translated that I think understanding the Greek might help us connect a little more with what Jesus is saying. The first of those words is overcome. When Jesus says, I have overcome the world, the Greek word there is nikeo, which means to overcome, to overpower, to conquer, or triumph. If you look down at your feet, I imagine that many of us have on shoes that are affected by this word, right? This is where Nike gets their brand name. Not because Jesus said it, but in Greek culture, this was the word for victory, conquer, to overcome, Nikeo. And that's the word that Jesus is using here. It was often used to speak about uh, taking victory in military or political matters that Jesus has overcome like a conquering king, Nikeo, the world that word there is cosmos, and it means many things in Scripture, but one of those is the world, the entire universe. So Jesus is saying, take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. 
When you think about it, uh, it seems strange for Christ to say, I have overcome the world. I think it would be easy for us to imagine someone like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk looking at their bank account today, their net worth, and sitting wherever they're sitting, drinking whatever coffee they're drinking, saying to themselves, look at me, I have overcome the world. We get that as they looked at their financial resources, their net worth. You're like, yeah, I could see why they might say that. We can imagine military leaders, political leaders uh, like Napoleon or Alexander the Great or even Muhammad saying it as they conquered with their military might. They would look at their conquests, the, the wars they had won, the battles they had fought, the nations they had conquered, and look at everything and say, look at me, I have overcome the world. We could understand that. We could be like, yeah, I get where you're coming from. We could look or imagine Michael Jordan or Serena Williams or Tom Brady saying it as they consider their athletic achievements and all that they've won, all the medals and trophies that they've amassed, saying, look at me, I have overcome the world. We can imagine the Kardashians, Drake, or even Mr. Beast looking at their social media following, their YouTube views, and saying to themselves, I have conquered this world. Those things we would understand. But Jesus says this uh, as he has no home in this moment to lay his head. When he's saying this to his disciples, he is a man without a home. Jesus is saying, I've conquered the world, yet he has no wife and no children, no wealth to speak of, no rank or honor among men, nothing of note to show in the eyes of the world for his life. Jesus left no visible legacy that we could see a company started in his name, a nation founded, an army. There was nothing. Right at this moment, as he's saying, take heart, I have overcome the world. His own disciple, Judas, is betraying him into the hands of his enemies. Jesus, as he's saying, I have overcome the world, he is going to have no disciple who will stand with him in his time of need, whether in prayer or on the cross. Jesus, who's saying, I have overcome the world, he was condemned, though he was innocent. He was mocked. He was going to be spat upon, ridiculed, and then nailed to the most humiliating, degrading death of his day, death on a cross, that he might die as a penniless felon. But here, Jesus is saying, I have overcome the world. And for thousands of years, the church has found fertile soil in these words. As the church has encountered Jesus in these words, we've encountered him as our conquering king. And here we find peace in him in the midst of the unresolved troubles of this life. Here in this soil, we find hope in the midst of sorrow. We find courage in the midst of the ongoing fears of life because he has overcome the world. And as we today, through the Spirit, we encounter Jesus, speak to us these words today that we too have the resource to find peace and hope and courage 
because of our conquering King. Now, how uh, can we say with integrity or how can Jesus say with integrity that he has overcome the world? Clearly, in one sense, he has not overcome the world using the traditional means that you and I might speak of someone overcoming the world with. He did not overcome the world by amassing a financial fortune. That's not the way in which he's speaking, I have overcome the world. He didn't overcome the world by amassing a significant amount of fame or following in his days, not able to relate to those with all the social media followers. That's not the way in which he overcame the world. He has not overcome the world by ways that we think of normal rulers and kings going out and conquering with military might and force of will. That's not the way that Jesus overcame the world. So how has Jesus overcome the world? Because he did not use the means of financial wealth, military might, achievement, or attention seeking. And this here is where we need to lean in. You've been on cruise control this morning. Let's take your foot off of that. Let's, let, let's focus in. Let's lean in, take a sip of your coffee. Because this right here has confounded our world for generations. In 1 Corinthians, talking about this paradox of Jesus overcoming the world, and yet according to the world's standards, having nothing by which we would look to him and say, wow, you've really overcome the world. Uh, 1 Corinthians tells us that this is why the world caused this foolishness. That it makes no sense. But for those of us who have encountered Jesus, what we see here is not foolishness, but wisdom. What we see here is not a broken life, but a full life. What we see here is not an empty life, someone to be pitied, someone to be ridiculed, someone to be mocked at, but someone who lived and lives a full, good, beautiful, and true life. And that life is extended to us. To those whom God has called both Jew and Greek, Christ here is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And we need the Holy Spirit today in order to be able to see that. And I'm going to do my best using human words to explain what we see when we look at Jesus and we see him conquering the world because it's very different than the terms that we might be familiar with. I often in preaching use sermon uh, illustrations rooted in sports. If you're a sports fan, you can appreciate those. I thought everyone understood sports until a number of years ago after a sermon. Someone said, hey, I was trying to follow you today, but I just don't get the sports illustrations. Can you try something else to help us make it through? So I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so I'll lean into history illustrations. I understand history. I'll tell stories from history. Uh, one place that I don't often lean is science. So for all you science lovers, I'm sorry, that was a subject in school that I just didn't do that well in, maybe because I wasn't paying that much attention in science class, but that's not my kind of language of fluency. But today, I have a science illustration for us. All right, we've got a few science nerds that are excited. Uh, some science illustrations for us that uh, help explain what do we mean? What does Jesus mean? How can we understand him saying, I have conquered the world, but it being so different than the way that you and I think of conquering, and that is with fungus. Bet you weren't expecting that this morning. So I was watching a show with one of my boys yesterday about a man who goes out into the wilderness and does adventures, and he was talking about mushrooms that are a fungi, and he made this statement. 
He said, fungi eat death and in so doing create new life. Whoa, whoa. Fungi eat death and in so doing create new life. Now, I didn't know this. I didn't understand this. You might be like, how do you not know this? But I'm sorry, I'm not an expert in fungi, but I'm gonna tell you a few things that I learned uh, from, from reading a little bit about this. That our entire web of life is connected through fungi. Death is what fungi are all about. Things like mushrooms, they feast on deceased remains of almost all organisms. And as they feast on them, they convert them back into things from which life will spring. Wow, that's interesting right there. Get this, get this. Fungi, which thrive on on death, make all life possible. They perform perhaps the most vital function in the global food web. So who knew? I did not want to title this message today, Jesus, Mushrooms, and You. Uh, That's beyond my my purview. But as I sat and thought about the comment that man made, and I'd been meditating on these scriptures and thinking about this this week, I was like, this is a really helpful illustration of what we mean when we say Jesus conquered the world. Is that Jesus, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, came into our world that is an ecosystem of death, an ecosystem of sin, an ecosystem of pain and destruction is so often the way that our world operates and what grows here. And Jesus came in and he absorbed that death in and of himself. And he took it in and he transformed it. He made something new and he brought forth life out of death. Let me give you a few examples. The ecosystem of our world is a great place for self-will to grow. We say, I want it my way and on my terms, or I did it my way. It's a famous song. But Christ overcame the ecosystem of this world by living moment by moment in loving submission to his father. So in the midst of a world owned by self-will, where we all just feel like we are a single player playing the video game and we're the only ones that matter, Christ came into our world in that environment, took that on and somehow lived this life that was not marked by that, but was marked by a loving dependence and submission to his father. He would say things like, I do nothing but what I see father God doing. Father God, not my will, but yours be done. And as he lived that way, in his wake, he created an environment for new life to spring forth. And he conquered the world. The ecosystem of this world is all about Uh, self-promotion. Academics today working in universities say the most popular degrees that people are pursuing now, maybe in the 90s and 2000s, were ones that would make the most money. Now it's the ones that would bring the most fame right? Kids want to grow up, not to be an astronaut or a doctor. They want to be a YouTuber or a social media influencer. We love fame. It drives our world. We live to make much of ourselves, but Christ in the ecosystem of this world didn't live that way. He wasn't about self-promotion. Crowds would come to him and they'd come with praise or ridicule and none of it would drive him away from his purpose, from what God had called him to. He lived a life marked with humility that allowed him to relate to the lowest of the low who had no fame or social media following 
as well as those with the highest of the high and to be the same person in each. He transformed the ecosystem of our world and he brought something new. The ecosystem of our world is filled with lies. We adapt facts to serve what we want, but Christ came in and he lived a life rooted in truth as the truth. And he said, you will know my truth and the truth will set you free. And that way he conquered the world, but not with the tools that our world used to conquer with an entirely different way. The ecosystem of this world is rooted in self-interest. Self-interest grows here really well, but it's also very, very corruptive and corrosive. And Christ came in to this world and he lived a life not of self-interest, but of self-sacrifice. Christ lived in a consistent love for God and for others. The ecosystem of this world uh, is fueled by a spiritual power of darkness, but Christ came and lived by the spiritual power of light, the Holy Spirit. The ecosystem of this world is fueled by power expressed in physical force, political force, and economic force. But Christ came in this ecosystem of this world and lived fueled by love and self-sacrifice. Nowhere do we see his conquering life more clearly than on the cross, him conquering the world more clearly than on the cross. That here in John 16, as he speaks to his disciples, is to come and that we some 2,000 years later can look back on with hindsight. We live in the shadow of the cross. When we look at Jesus on the cross, we don't just see what God has done. We see who God is. In the cross, Christ takes in our hatred, our pride, our greed, our bitterness. He takes in the sin and the darkness of all that we could throw at him. Humanity seeking to kick God out, and he literally absorbs it into his body. And there we see in his face, the face of our conquering king. Not conquering with the weapons of the ecosystem of this world, but with self-sacrificial love. We see him, the justice of God, conquering with love, with grace, with mercy, with forgiveness. In his resurrection, we see the face of hope, restoration, and redemption. Some people have called Christ's way the upside-down kingdom of God because it's so foreign to the ecosystem of this world that operates around us. But I prefer, and I make it a, a, a motion in our church, if you can do such a thing, that we call it the right-side-up kingdom of God. Because in Jesus, he has taken what sin has turned upside down in our world and Christ turns it right side up again. And it's here in Christ's face that we see true beauty, true goodness, true greatness, true life, and truly what it looks like to conquer. As we encounter Jesus here, we find fertile soil for a similar kind of life and to live that life in Christ's ecosystem. And it's here that Christ invites his disciples and invites us to take heart here. He's not promising us a kingdom marked by economic gain, by military power, political influence, fame, or a life that moves up and to the right. He's promising us a life shaped and animated by the Holy Spirit, a life that grows in us the fruit of love, humility, truth, Light, self-sacrifice, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, justice, hope, 
restoration, and redemption. A life that often strangely grows in the climate of trial, temptation, and tribulation, as his disciples of old, and as we understand today, I would soon find out. But it's a life whose fruit is better in quality and longer lasting in nature than that which grows in the ecosystem of this world. As we encounter Jesus here today, we encounter him as our conquering king. And we receive his words through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we surrender to him and surrender to these words, we let them in fresh ways come into our lives that we too might let Christ swallow our own death and turn it into his life. Jesus closes this passage or this portion of scripture with those words, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I want to invite you to stand. If you have a child in the children's ministry, if you would send one parent to go and get them, we're going to take a few moments to focus in on these words and to let the Holy Spirit speak to us this morning. Because I know when we come together, there are so many of us coming from different places, different backgrounds, different things going on, and I know that we need the peace that's found in Christ. Amen? I know that we need the hope that's found in Christ. Amen? I know that we need the courage that's found in Christ. Amen? And in order to experience those things, we need to see Him today and understand Him today in a fresh way as our conquering King and that we might let him transform our lives and bring life out of the death which marks our world to bring that kingdom kind of life, God's right side up kingdom. So I'm gonna pray for us and the worship team is gonna lead us uh, in a response. We also wanna take time to do prayer ministry. We believe in the power, presence, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we wanna create space for whatever you might be going through today Believe the Holy Spirit has something for you. And if you're like, man, I would love someone to pray with me about a situation, something going on in my life, or someone else that's near and dear in my life, we'll have our prayer team available to be able to pray for you. So staff and overseers, if you guys can come forward, I'm gonna pray. And let's just take time to respond. Let's not move on into our week without letting these words really take weight in our hearts. Jesus, thank you that you are our conquering king. Thank you that you don't conquer in the terms of this world, Lord, but you bring a different kind of kingdom and a different way of conquering. The conquering of this world brings death. Lord, your way of conquering brings life out of death. Lord, and I pray for everyone and my brothers and sisters here today, for every place that we face fear, that we, play, that we face discouragement, that we face anxiety and hopelessness, Lord. Every place that we're weak today, Lord. God, I'm asking that you would breathe afresh on those places. Those words that the church has drawn strength from for so long, take heart. I have overcome the world. We're here today as your people, Lord, and we receive your words. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister in our midst? As the worship team leads us, I want to invite you to respond.